Hey, it's Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to 10.3. Today, I turn the microphones over to Stuart Thompson and Brian Platt in the National Post's Ottawa Bureau so they can talk about the latest in the Conservative Party of Canada's leadership race. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and definitely tell your friends about us. Hi, everybody. This is Brian Platt. Just a quick note to say that this episode was recorded shortly before Richard Decoré was disqualified by the Conservative Party this weekend. So we will discuss that development more in our next episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Conservative Leadership Notebook. This is our weekly show where we talk about the big stories, the small stories, and everything else happening in the race to replace Andrew Scheer. My name is Brian Platt. I'm a reporter with the National Post. And I'm Stuart Thompson. I'm also a politics reporter at the Post. Stuart, I'm back from Niagara Falls, Mm -hmm. back from the Ontario PC Convention. I spent a bunch of time hanging around with conference delegates and some of the leadership candidates who were there making their pitches and a lot of the campaign staff hanging out in the back rooms and the hospitality suites, which is where most of the action was. Just in case any editors are listening, I want to make it clear I did this after all my work was done. I, on the last night, wandered over to the Falls View Casino and broke even on Blackjack. Oh, well done. I was up and then I was down and then I made a little bit back and then I quit. So That's the hardest part is quitting. Yes. (laughs) But at... uh, I am back, and we are here to talk about the big story this week. And to set up the big story, I've got a clip from Winston Churchill. Ah, this is not the end. Uh, It is not even the beginning of the end. Uh, But it is perhaps the end of the beginning. (laughs) The end of the beginning. Wow, I see you're appealing to the Stuart Thompson demographic. Yes. (laughs) With your clips. That was Churchill talking about, I believe... German Nazi forces being defeated in Egypt. In this case, we are talking about the cut off to the to, the cut off to enter the race, the leadership race. The stakes are a little bit lower, but um, February twenty seventh, Thursday, was the deadline to get in, and we need to emphasize this is not this does not mean you're on the final ballot. This just means that you've shown a basic amount of competency and the will and the, you know, that you are pretty serious about running because you had to pay $25,000 and collect a thousand signatures from at least seven provinces, signatures of paid up party members, and the party has to sign off on your candidacy. So we now know there are going to be, I would say either eight or nine it's hard to, we'll talk about that, the, why we don't know that for sure yet, but we'll have a maximum of nine and I would say a minimum of eight candidates. So for the big story segment this week, let's go through who we know is in the race and what we know about each person and what kind of influence we think that this candidate's going to have. The first two, we don't need to spend too much time on because we've already talked about them a lot and everybody knows who they are and is kind of familiar with the dynamics. Peter McKay, presumptive front runner, mm-hmm. has the highest name recognition, I think, probably by far yeah, of the very field. Very easily and quickly got to $300,000. Right. That's the other thing I guess we'd say about McKay is he's now the only candidate to have passed all three steps. Mm-hmm. And these next two steps that these other candidates have to get through are a lot harder in total, they need to pay to the party $300,000 and a total of 2,000 more signatures by March 25th. 
And the first installment of that gets them the party's membership list, and the second installment gets them onto the final ballot and qualifies them for participating in debate. So Peter McKay has passed all three. Aaron O'Toole has passed the first two steps so far. Mm -hmm. And how would you describe his candidacy? Yeah, sort of the the pugnacious conservative firebrand is the lane he's going for. And I, I would say that Aaron O'Toole, if he really wanted to, could be at, you know, the final part here with $300,000. But you have to remember, these guys are also paying staff, they're paying for advertising, uh, they're traveling. So the money to the party is on top of whatever else they spend on a campaign. So if you, I think, are a front runner, and you are not worried about money coming in uh, as much as the lesser known candidates, then you would probably be happy to be spending money on campaigning right now. So I'd say these two guys are the presumptive front runners. Okay, so now let's get into the rest of the field here. We have Marilyn Gladue, who is a two-term MP, is of the other candidates in the race. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, we're just guessing at this point if we say who's got the best name recognition. But she has been elected twice. She's taken on critic roles within the party. She is the MP for uh, Sarnia-Lampton, so in southwestern Ontario. She's a serious candidate with strong policy ideas. Yeah, I actually just read through her policy document. It's 20 pages, and it's interesting. It's got some interesting ideas in there. Um, some of them are sort of like long-time conservative ideas that you see come up in every leadership race, and some of them are new. For example, I, I think so far, I haven't heard any other candidate say this, but she does say in that document that the Paris goals are important and that Canada has to meet them. Peter McKay has said they're aspirational. Aaron O'Toole, I don't think, has uh, said much about that. I spoke to, actually to Rick Peterson about that, and he said, you know, it would be nice to meet them, but we're not going to promise that. So she's got some real ideas in there. Uphill climb for her, but again, she's been elected twice already and uh, bilingual, a woman. She's got some things that she can definitely use to sell herself in contrast to the uh, leading candidates. Yeah. Okay. Leslyn Lewis, who is an interesting name in this race. She is a lawyer by training, has a really an extensive, a pretty sparkling academic resume. Mm-hmm. She is an interesting candidate, partly because we don't know that much about her. Yeah. I mean, she has declined all media requests so far. But she was actually the third candidate to to get to the deadline, to get the 1,000 signatures and $25,000. Yeah. And actually speaking to some of the people involved in the bigger campaigns, they've been surprised meeting her and being impressed by her and being impressed by the campaign that she's running, even though it is... You know, it's one of those iceberg campaigns that most of it is under the surface. Most of it is even hard for reporters to figure out because a lot of this happens through pro-life groups doing work right. that we're never so, going to see. So the one thing that we do know for sure about Leslie Lewis is she is strongly backed by social conservatives. We are told that she is personally pro-life and in favor of traditional marriage. I cannot verify that because I've never had the chance to put questions to her. But she has the backing, for example, of Charles McVitie. Uh, and other quite well-known social conservative organizers in Toronto. She also is, I mean, when you talk to people who are who know her, say, through the Ontario PC party, everybody has hot, nice things to say about her. They say yeah. she's smart, she's, you know, serious candidate, and she's putting in the work. She's showing up to events. She was at the Ontario PC convention on the first day. She's in lots of riding association meetings. So I think she's somebody to keep an eye on. Yeah. But... Is she ready for prime time yet? I mean, the only I should say she has done one interview, which was with uh, Ezra Levant at the Rebel, and really did not get into very much of her actual policy views. So yeah. we will 
keep you updated on Leslin Lewis. We have Rick Peterson. Yeah, I've spoken to Peterson a couple of times. Uh, he is an Alberta businessman. He ran in the 2017 conservative leadership race and came in 12th. I spoke to him about that, and he said, you know, that was a massive field of something like 16 or 17 candidates. And once you got down into the lesser candidates, it just splintered. So he didn't see much difference between 12th and 7th and 8th. So even though 12th does sound like right at the bottom of the pile, uh, he is an interesting he's kind of person be, he, here. He's kind of trying to be a bit of a disruptor, right? Put, yeah. Putting forward kind of... In some ways, I almost think of him as like the Andrew Yang type yeah. equivalent, where Andrew Yang in the Democratic race was putting forward kind of these big, kind of a little bit outside the box policy ideas. I mean, Rick Peterson, businessman from Alberta, yeah. um, bilingual. Yeah. For the most, I mean moderate at least in his social views yeah i would describe him it's almost a libertarian it's, right. it's almost more libertarian than bernier he wants a 15 percent flat tax for everyone that's something it's hard to call it innovative because it was the canadian alliance platform in 2000 but um it's a new idea on the scene these days he wants zero percent corporate tax rate which is probably a hard thing to sell in a general election but it's an interesting idea and if you run the numbers on these plans it's very costly um, and Peterson is relying on sort of increased economic activity to bring that money back if there's an opening for him here it's an opening as being an Alberta pro-business I mean that's his that's his lane potentially right yeah he's the only yeah. candidate from Although, I will say too that the NDP in Alberta um, got rid of the flat tax, and Jason Kenney is now in power and has not promised to and mm. has no plans to get the flat tax back. Okay, we also, number candidate number six, Derek Sloan, rookie MP, elected uh, to a in a rural eastern Ontario riding, mm. really s- strong into the social conservative territory. That is his lane here. He's not shy about the Churchillian rhetoric. no. No, as is quite clear from his campaign bio, which has actually been changed from the original one he put on the site. The original one made it clear he explicitly was encouraging MPs to bring forward and debate abortion. And he was big on freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, freedom of speech. That is what he's really hammering away at. If you want to get a sense of how he's going to be messaging in this campaign, I think this paragraph, which is still in, so his new bio doesn't mention abortion anymore, which is interesting, but it still has this paragraph near the bottom. Derek is standing for the leadership because our country is under siege by a tide of political correctness that seeks to destroy Canada. And he knows that the quickest way to lose such a war is to pretend you're not in one. So he's bringing out the big guns, (laughs) messaging-wise anyway. That's how you get noticed. <laughs> it's hard to say how uh, if he can raise the three hundred thousand and uh, get the two thousand more signatures that he needs. But yeah, that's going to be tough for a lot of these people. People who were coming up right against the wire with the thousand signatures, it's going to be really tough for them on the next hurdle. But it these rules favor candidates who are have a strong organization behind them, and the social conservative movement is well organized. Yeah. So you can't write them off. Jim Carahalios, candidate number seven. Jim is very well known to people in on in the Ontario PC world as just uh, he just is in constant fights with the party and some have been more popular than others. He is best known for leading the Axe the Carbon Tax campaign against Patrick Brown when Patrick Brown was PC leader. He really mobilized the party against carbon pricing and I think that that has sort of carried over you know, it was a grassroots-driven campaign. It was through signing up people, signing petitions, getting names. He still has that 
advantage, I would think, in trying to organize a leadership contest and that he has his own network to tap into. Is that big enough to get him through all three steps here to the $300,000? Hard to say. Mm -hmm. But the guy has gotten results before. We should say he also, I mean, he's fought the, the Ontario PC party over nomination contests alleging they were illegally run. And including his own candidacy for Ontario PC president, his wife is an Ontario MPP but he is also suing the Ontario PC party, alleging it committed fraud to rig the race against him to keep him from winning Ontario PC party president. He will be riling up the right wing side of the, you know, the hardline conservative base here. And for that reason, there's votes there. Mm -hmm. I don't know that he is really a strongly social conservative. I don't think he plans to emphasize that or put that forward, but he does have support from the Campaign Life Coalition and, and some social conservatives. I've talked to some who are not big on him, but I I think he will get the endorsement of at least some of these pro-life social conservative groups. Yeah, and he was, if I remember correctly, he was on the, the sign-up sheet that the Campaign Life Coalition yes. was sending out. Candidate number eight, he, as of, while we record this, he has not been officially approved, but we expect him to be. He did an interview with the party, so he's just waiting to get the green light. Rudy Husney... Husni? Yep. Um, I actually spoke to him on Friday last week, just as he was actually heading up to Niagara Falls to to go to the convention. That's where a lot of signatures happen. So people were going there to try and um, gin up some support. Uh, Husni is an interesting guy because he clearly, I, you know, I spoke to him for a little while, he's clearly a smart guy. He doesn't have a huge profile. He ran twice as a conservative candidate and lost both times in 2011 and 2015. The first time he ran, he ran against Tom Mulcair, though, in 2011. And you can forgive a guy for losing against the, the NDP leader at the time. So it, it is interesting. I think he came right under the wire on the signatures. But the one thing that this race is lacking is some kind of representation from Quebec. So the, the party might be hoping that he makes the final hurdle just so they can have sort of a balanced crop of candidates. Um, well, yeah, we'll talk about that with the next candidate, too. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, I also, uh, I talked to Rudy in Niagara Falls. I met him. Uh, he had a hospitality suite on the Saturday night. Very well-liked guy. Everybody likes him. He's younger, affable. I think he has no did not have any trouble coming up with the $25,000 on his own, whether he can raise money across the country enough to, to get to all three stages, I think is... Yeah. It'll be a tough one for him. I asked him um, how he was going to meet the next hurdles. And he said, Stuart, when you eat an elephant, you eat it one bite at a time. So I think that's how a lot of these people are thinking about this. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the last candidate here, Richard Descaries, who has become somewhat infamous because he went on TV multiple times on national television and said he believes that being gay is a choice. All abortion funding should be ended by the government. He is the question mark here. He's why we don't know why it's going to be eight or nine yet. He's met the minimum requirements. The party has interviewed him as we record this. We do not know if there is some talk that the party may seek to block this guy from running because they think that he's too out of step with the modern conservative party. And it's a big question for the party, right? It's Mm -hmm. a big step to block somebody. I I think this is, you know, the struggle that they're having is that if you're Leslin Lewis and you're sort of a social conservative who's a lawyer and you... I mean, we haven't spoken to her, so we don't know how she speaks. But you can imagine that as a lawyer, you speak in a very kind of refined way. You don't say the wrong thing when you're on TV. But when a guy like Dick Array goes on TV, it just does not look good for the party. And we saw this debate play out publicly with 
you know, former Harper advisors condemning him publicly. Now, there's one more thing to say about Descartes. He's from Quebec, and there's a reason why social conservatives have put their support behind him. They believe that he has led protest movements in Quebec before, and they believe that he can bring out Quebec members. Again, we, if he gets the approval from the party to run, keep an eye on him. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll see. It's hard, to, it's hard to know if he has a chance of getting to 300,000, but I don't think it's impossible. Yeah, these races can turn on highly motivated support. And we've spoken about this before, but the dairy farmers became very important for Andrew Scheer, and they have an organization that helps organize them. These small organized groups can wield some power. I mean, the question now is how many of those candidates can can get to the $300,000 by March 25th. We will see. And uh, I think that about does it for this week's show. For Stuart Thompson, I'm Brian Platt. Join us next week for the next edition of the Conservative Leadership Notebook. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to Stuart Thompson and Brian Platt. More from them at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.